look, ladies, if we want to heal and be in our power, we have to start taking more responsibility for the way that we're needing men to change so we can feel safer. It doesn't work like that. Welcome to Evolution Sucks, out of the primordial ooze and into our best life. <laughs> we can't kick off the podcast yeah, we, laughing, yeah, do we you? have intro, to, man. totally. All right, listen, my, <laughs> hey, y'all out there, my guest today is Chelsea Taylor, who some of you may also know as Taylor Hawk. Chelsea, Can you, wait, can what? you edit in a hawk screeching? Well, not now, part? after we interrupted. All right, go ahead. All right, maybe. <coughs> Chelsea is first and foremost just, not just, another dear friend and ally on the path. But for work, she's a psychedelic guide and integrative coach for Mindbloom, assisting people with integrating therapeutic ketamine sessions to treat anxiety, depression, and PTSD. Chelsea is also a multi-talented artistic soul who is also part of a group of musicians called Mama Lingua. Whenever Chelsea and I get together, we always, always laugh (laughs) and curse. So if they're small children (laughs) about, you may want to cover their ears or usher them out of the room. Welcome, my friend. I am so looking forward to our conversation today, totally. Yeah, yeah it's going to be good. It is good already. <laughs> it's been great already. So where do we start with this whole thing about men and women? Like this, <laughs> the idea of Venus oh, and Mars, and can they ever sing in harmony, or are they just destined to be on different planets? I don't know. Yeah. That is the question. I think, you know, I'm sure a lot of people out there listening have heard that this new kind of, um, it's kind of this new buzzword. It's polarity, you know, polarity, mm. polarity, um, which is like, are you polarizing your partner? You know, and, and this is any gender, any type of relationship. We all have, you know, masculine and feminine qualities. And so there's this obsession now with pol- with polarizing, right? And I mean, even an, an avoidantly attached person polarizes an anxious attached or a type A person will polarize a really relaxed, more lazy, messy person. So mm. polarization in relationship is really important. But um, just last night, I was listening to a podcast. I wish I could remember the guy's name, but he was like, look, you don't have to have perfect polarity mm. in a relationship. Like sometimes it just works out. So what's the I, point of polarity? Explain yeah, that a, a little question. bit. I'd like to first say I am in no way like a, I, I'm not a specialist in this shit. Like I don't know. I'm still learning. I'm still learning, you know, but I'm studying this stuff and I'm looking at it in my own life. So I'm just going to do my best to share where where I'm coming from in my work with with the dance of the feminine and the masculine and of um, and in particular of, of men and women. Um, I see you as your own lab rat, essentially. 
I'm a rat. I'm <laughs> well, a stinky old rat. No, <laughs> I didn't mean that. But you know what I'm saying. Like, Jamie, through, you through, just called me a lab rat. <laughs> you know, in some, in some circles, that could be a compliment. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I am my own lab rat. Right. It's true. So we all are, essentially, if we're on this path of, of evolution and self-growth, self-awareness, we're all testing and trying things and, oh, shit, that didn't work. Let me try this. Yeah. And I feel like relationship, let's be honest, that's probably the hardest mirror in our lives. You know, there's yeah. work, there's family, there's ourselves. But when you get in an intimate relationship with somebody, your shit's going to get reflected back to you. And it might not be so pretty. Yeah. Right? And I'm learning that the the relationships that are the most fruitful just in my clients and in friends um, are the ones where there's a willingness to learn. And uh-huh. if you don't have a willingness to learn about yourself, really, and about how to love yourself and other, you're fucked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, it's everything. Because relationships are such a fast track to growth because it's because of that mirroring, mm. you know? Mm. And so, so yes, I am my own lab rat and, and I've built some really fucking crazy mazes for myself <laughs> yeah. that I've not, you know, that I've had trouble getting out of. Um, I don't know, whenever I think of a lab rat, I just picture, you know, a big maze on the floor and the, you know, testing where the rat's going to go. Um, but back to polarity, I think you asked, um, why is it important? Yeah. Well, I think it's a matter of like, you can have a relationship without polarity, sure. But is it functional, (laughs) right? Like, is it satisfying? And what I mean by that is, well, well, let me just speak to my own personal experience. I run a lot of masculine energy. um, And let's just define masculine and and feminine for a minute. And again, we're not talking about sex. We're not talking about gender. We're talking about qualities of being qualities of energy characteristics so and and chime in here if there's anything to add but like to me the masculine energy as it exists in nature and in human beings is very direct it has a goal it has a purpose it's a to b no backtracking no you know emotional processing about how to get to b you just want to get to b (laughs) you know um masculine energy is is electric it's just like boom let's go it's penetrating right yep um it is concerned with um protecting itself on some level there's a quality of protection um a desire to teach um a desire to guide and then feminine energy is magnetic it draws what it wants towards it by being embodied so when feminine energy is um convinced of its own femininity and harnessing that it becomes very magnetic there's no need to go out electrically <laughs> to penetrate because it's it's calling everything it wants towards it by being full and whole and receptive i'm receptive so yeah. thank you so receptivity is a huge aspect um, of feminine energy so if masculine energy is penetrating and going towards something then feminine energy is receiving and taking in and you know integrating swallowing up digesting what's happening 
Um, and we have both those energies in all of us. Yeah, yes, to varying degrees, sure. Right. I mean, like, if we wanted to set a general standard, it could be, okay, uh, male-bodied people have about 80% uh, masculine energy and 20% feminine, right? If let's say that's a baseline and then females would have about 80% feminine energy mm-hmm. and 20% masculine. I, I mean, that just, that, that's a great baseline, but as we know, it varies so totally. much, right? Yeah. yeah. Totally. Like there's plenty of men out there that can be a bit more in that feminine receptive. And, and I want to just say, it's not that men can't be nurturing and receptive, and it's not that women can't be direct and penetrating, of mm-hmm. course. But I think it's important to acknowledge the polarities on either end. I, I think it's important to, like, acknowledge the concentrated the concentrated intensity of masculine and feminine. And then we're all, there's a spectrum, right? There's a dancing yeah. spectrum. So... To come back to the importance of polarity, I'd say in my own life, I have run more masculine energy in my life, meaning I'm not great at receiving. It's not that I'm not nurturing, but sometimes I've been overly concerned with me and getting my needs met Mm -hmm. and then controlling or manipulating to get that need met. Um, I'm not saying that's a masculine quality, but... But I've run a lot of masculine energy in my life. I know what I want. I go for it. Lots of ideas. Um, But that has backfired with me in a number of relationships because I date men and I end up emasculating them a little bit, you know, by not receiving what they have to offer, by controlling. Um, Do you feel like you're you're attracting a certain type of man then? (laughs) who is either mm. not fully in his direct, assertive, go for what I want, but is a little bit like mm, this sort of diaphanous energy, or do you know what I mean? Diaphanous? Diaphanous. <laughs> wow. Right, dude. Look it up, Let me people. Google that shit. Yeah. Hold, hold on a second. Do you know what I mean? But like, yeah. what, are I, what I hear in... <clears throat> feel and what you're saying is like you're desiring of a certain type of energy in relationship and what I'm hearing is some of your energy is overriding or or I I don't have the right word muddying or do you know what I mean well I'm robbing myself of a chance to be in my feminine when I do that maybe that's what I was trying to say and, and that's harmful because men have a lot to offer. Yeah. And a lot of women don't, they're not great at receiving because we've been conditioned to hustle and run a lot of masculine energy that I think women have lost touch with their softness, their receptivity, um, the ability to let a man lead a little bit and trust him because it's like we've we've been... I think our guard is up with the masculine. We're kind of like, you know, I don't need a man. Yeah. I kinda, <laughs> you know, kind of this hyper independence has happened. And right. I was, that's where I was as well uh-huh. in the past. So how would you feel if we were going into a restaurant and I held the door for you? I would feel honored. But don't you feel like there's a little bit of what you just said? Or like women are like, I don't, you don't have to hold the fucking door for me. I hold the door myself. Right. That's great. I think. And, and, and so guys are a little bit like, well, ha, what, you know, ha, okay, 
<laughs> what am I doing? Right? Yeah. Do you yeah. want me to step into that? And then there's this whole like tradition and you know, it was that's the way it was, you know, in the fifties, sixties, then the seventies blew that apart. And then it's like I, I gotta say, like, why do so many men seem lost when in relationship? Oh like they they almost are like you know those buildings, I think there's one in Chicago and you walk out in this plexiglass or something and you walk out into space. <laughs> Do you know? It's, it, yeah, it's this thing, it's somewhere. Oh. And, and it's like this, almost like a balcony off the building and it's all glass or plexi, whatever. Yeah. And there's nothing below you. And I feel like a lot of men in relationship mm -hmm. walk into it and they're like, whoa, where'd the ground go? And how am I supposed to be? And who am I in this relationship? And what what's the dynamic? You know, do I just be this alpha male? I'm going to run the show. No, I got to be sensitive. And, you know, I got to sit with emotion and, and, you know, feel. And I don't want to feel. I want to go, you know, take down the woolly mammoth. And bring it home so we can eat for a month, right? With a spear. <laughs> yeah, with and a, a loincloth. Right. So I don't know. It just seems oh, like a gosh. lot of men are lost when it comes to relationship. So my thoughts on that is when, when you describe that, that plexiglass, like the no ground beneath you, yeah. um, is because I think men, you know, at their core are deeply uh, people-pleasing. They just want to make their their partners happy they want their they, partner to say nice job yes right? yeah yeah and i think that men on some level have lost touch with what they want and what's okay and they're taking direction from women oh, okay i'm i need to be more vulnerable got it and then they're too vulnerable and the women are kind of like whoa dude man <laughs> up and so they're like, oh, shit, okay, I'm going to man up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out and I'm going to get a really good job and I'm going to work really hard. And then the women are like, you're never home. Oh, God. And so we, it's like the dancing, I don't know, the <laughs> fucking puppet string dancing monkey shit. And I think, that, I think that when men get caught up too much in their people pleasing, that's when they get lost because they've lost touch with their own core and their own boundaries. And mm -hmm. They're trying too hard to like fit this really unreasonable standard that women put on men. Mm. Yeah, and I, I'm by the way, I just want to say I'm, I'm. This is shit I'm working on and and have been working on and that I'm still working on. And so, I've I've behaved that way. I've confused men. I've made them. I've put an unreasonable standard on quite a few men in my life. Um, and I, I want to, I don't want to have a total ADD conversation, but I want to go back to that door question. You, you talked about the chivalry piece of mm. like a man opening a door. When I, it, as a woman, if I were to have a negative response to that, like I can open the fucking door myself. Mm -hmm. To me, that's a sign that, um, to me, that just reveals I've been wounded by the masculine mm. and I need to kind of, um, fluff my feathers and show I'm tough and that I don't need the door open for me but when you think about it it's such an honoring act it's just like let me make your life easier sweetie mm. let, let me open this door for you like 
you're you're a goddess let me open the door and make your pathway into the restaurant easeful (laughs) you know it's so sweet you know it's so sweet and it's such a simple gesture and when women respond badly to that to me it's a testament of like I'm uncomfortable with you tending to me because you must be tending to me because I'm deficient and I don't Uh I can't do it myself it reveals a wound right there it reveals a wound yeah I see that do you, does that resonate? Totally. It does. I'm just hearing this, though, and I'm going, it, there's so much to navigate here, <laughs> yeah. right? It's like landmines. Wherever you step, you don't know, like, did I do this right? Did I, didn't, did I not do this right? What is appropriate? What isn't? How much am I being asked to uh, be receptive? At what point have I reached my limit? And then when I reach my limit, I just am like, I'm done. And then that's abrupt. And like, God, it's just like, I feel like we're tiptoeing. I mean, tip-toeing. You're, you're a man. What Have you tiptoed? Fuck yeah. <laughs> so what's going on for you when you're tiptoeing like that or when you felt lost in relationship? I feel like if I'm tiptoeing, it's because I've lost my own center, right? And I... I'm now hedging my bet that by tiptoeing, I can either avoid an uncomfortable situation or conversation, or I will be deemed, oh, he, he's, he's okay because he's not a threat, because he's not just charging off, mm. right? Wow. And I feel like, yeah, th- this, this whole thing, and, you know, certainly in my own case, which if anyone's listened to previous episodes, they know a little bit like, you know, Megan, my wife and I swapped roles about seven years ago. And I went from, you know, big man on campus, making money, supporting a lot of people to, you know, changing shitty diapers and food shopping at 11 in the morning, being the only guy in the grocery store. That fucked with my head. Weren't you going to have a podcast or something called like snacks and dad or something being a dad bring your snacks or i don't remember well yeah no it was basically bright moments in you know that first year of (laughs) being in this role and and i remember like and, and this is so important because when i said this to megan i really i really believed it and what she said is hey we're gonna can we swap roles and you take care of the kids and, you know, play dates, cooking, shopping, you know, diapers, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, I, in all honesty, I looked at her and I said, Jesus, honey, I don't know. I'm a guy. Right. And when I said that, it really landed like all of my, my modeling Mm-hmm. Right. As a kid growing up in the 60s was basically through television and strong male archetypes. My favorite guys were Steve McQueen. Right. Mm-hmm. Evil Knievel. John Wayne. Gary Cooper. You know, like all these stoic. Batman. No, not in <laughs> Batman in the 60s on TV. <laughs> That guy was a freak. 
Robin was cooler than Batman. Oh, what? Okay, that's a no. no we're gonna. Have... Hey, people, I'm not talking oh like Lord. you know whoever these guys are now <laughs> playing Batman. In the '60s, Batman was not cool. I didn't really <laughs> like Batman. All right, but but please. But do you go see on. what I'm saying? Yes, yes. And so when I heard these words, you know, hey, we're gonna swap. I thought I I honestly don't know if I can do that, mm. and I think when I review my relationships, it it was when I wasn't tiptoeing. I knew what I wanted. I knew who I, what my role was. I knew what my mission was. You said one thing, guys want to be appreciated and and guys also want to have a mission. Mm. And without a mission, we're kind of lost. So here we come into this new relationship with a woman and, you know, in this conversation, just substitute whatever. But this is heterosexual is what I'm referring to. Man, woman, that's fine. Everything else is totally cool. But in my case, I'm thinking if I start to acquiesce to demands, and, and there's a great question that you um, have there towards the end that we, we uh, talked about before we went live, Mm -hmm. like, why are women controlling with men? I want to dive into that in a second. But this idea of if I start to morph who I am, adjust who I am to satisfy some need in my partner, just to satisfy that need without really investigating, is this what I want? Is this good for me? Is this about evolution? Or is someone just asking something of me because mm. they're expecting it from me? Does that make sense? I don't know if it does as I'm hearing myself speak about well, that. It's like when in relationship do we become someone we're not mm. to please the other person? Because you mentioned that men want to please. Am I pleasing you by being a certain acting out a certain behavior? to make you happy with me. See, it's so, Yeah. I feel like we're so in and the could, weeds well, right and here. Well, couldn't that be okay? Like, could it be okay to do something, you know, to, to make your partner feel safer and be okay? I mean, does that have to equal self-sacrifice? I mean, I don't know the answer. I'm just saying these are the questions of like, where is the line between right. doing something to res- out of respect for your partner because you know it helps them, it heals them. And then when are you doing something to, you know, have mommy pat you on the head and say, you're a good boy to give you a sense of value and meaning, right? Yeah. So where is that line? Where where does self-abandonment happen in relationship is, is or, kind of the question. Because yeah. you do have to make compromises on some level. That's true. Or when does holding the line just become obstinate behavior? Or, fuck it, I'm going to do this because I'm me and I want to do that. I have a great example, and I might have shared this with you. Um, The other day, Meg and I were walking our dogs, um, and she asked me, she said, can I bring something to you that's kind of tender? And I was like, sure. So right then and there, like the intro had my attention. It wasn't like, hey, you know, you're doing something that's really tweaking me. Like I'm, that. I'm totally going to steal that from Megan next time yeah. I need it. I have a tender request. Yeah. 
I was like, ladies, ladies, take notes no, from this, Megan Gilroy. This is huge. This <laughs> it is, is huge. It's a really sweet. I, I'm a guy who's pretty much like, I'll do whatever I want. <laughs> and when she introduced what she was about to ask me, I was like, already the ground was fertile. In other words, I wasn't like in reaction. I wasn't, didn't have my guard up. I was very much like, okay, sure. What is it? Well, last summer I was riding um, the dogs down to where I walked them. And one of the dogs, I was going pretty fast, like 20 miles an hour. I was not wearing a helmet. And one of the dogs, I don't know which one, wiped out my front wheel. I mean, everything happened so fast. There's no way I could have stopped it. And I don't even know how I got home. I was so badly concussed. And I also um, ride my motorcycle just around town without a helmet. It's a, it's a Russian motorcycle with a sidecar. It's very slow. It's, it's not going to tip over. But, you know, in the scope of my life, reviewing it, anything can happen. <laughs> so she said, hey, would you be willing when, because, oh, I know what started this, because I started riding my mountain bike down to where I walked the dogs because I love to go high speed, let them charge full speed ahead. But I was very conscious of what could happen. Whereas last summer I wasn't. I had no idea they'd wipe me out. So uh, that happened a couple times in the last week or so. And Meg could see me going off from her office window. So she brought this to me and she said, hey, I thought we were gonna, you were going to wear a helmet now when you ride the dogs down to where we walk. And I was like, hmm, I kind of let her finish. And she said, would you be willing to wear a helmet? And I was like, right away, I was like, yeah, I can do that. And I realized partially there are two things why it was a request to hers, but also we did have sort of a loose agreement. Hey, if you're going to do that, just wear a helmet. And, you know, this was last summer when we had that discussion. So I right away said, okay, I can do that. And then she said, and also. (laughs) Oh, he's saying, he's saying yes. Yeah, strike while the iron's (laughs) hot, ladies. Um, (laughs) She goes, and when you ride the Ural, that's the motorcycle, uh, would you be willing to wear a helmet? And I said, let me think about that. And we walked a little more. And I said, I just want to explain to you that, you know, I'm not trying to be cavalier or, or, you know, some reckless human. I just, I am taking a calculated risk. And she's like, well, that risk could affect your family. Should you, you know, hurt your head again or bang up a limb or break something. So, you know, we walked a little more and I said, yeah, I can, I'll wear a helmet when I ride the motorcycle in town. I would always wear one when I left town. So it was never like I'm one of these guys going 70 on the highway. We call them in first responders, call those guys organ donors. For real. Yeah, for real. So, you know, that, yeah. Go ahead. Well, so my question is, is how did you 
in those moments when she's making these requests of you, what were you weighing within yourself in that moment? Because you don't really want to wear a helmet. That's a great question. Right? Yeah. But but you do on some level because, That's a, right? This is the crux right this here. This is the crux. What, what did you experience so, in that moment? So what I experienced was this. I weighed, is it, is my, what I deem personal freedom more important than somebody I love's concern as well as concern for my family. You know, if I were to hurt myself, which I've done, it impacts everyone. Yeah. So I was weighing like, how important is it? Is it important to say, no, I'm me. It's freedom of choice. It's not a law in Colorado. Don't wear a helmet. And then the other hand was, Here's someone I love. They really, they, they softened me up beautifully by saying, can I bring something tender well, to she you? She just used the word tender, which is like, yeah. I don't know about you, but I think of a yummy steak. <laughs> sorry, all you vegan <laughs> listeners. I'm not sorry. Um, I love me. Sorry, not sorry. Uh, <laughs> I think that's what we're cooking for dinner tonight. Anyway, you know, so it, it comes down to in relationship, what are the sacred cows? What are those things mm. that you feel like, hey, this is personal freedom, or hey, this is, you know, Jamie, alpha dog, do what he wants, or no, let me consider this request from somebody I really care deeply about. They are concerned. Can I go there? Sure. Not a big deal. Literally, it was not a big deal. Well, yeah, and you saw in that moment that the the consequences of you exercising that free will and that personal freedom could potentially put a burden on your family if you were to get injured, right? And then everyone's picking up slack because dad's injured. And what I'm realizing as you're talking is it helps me understand why some people do not get too close to other people where they sort of keep separate because once you get immersed in a partnership, in a family, in a job, you're part of a whole. You fuck up, it fucks up the whole. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just, I don't know, just as you were sharing, I understood why some people avoid getting too close because then they have to be responsible for the fact that what they might choose to do will affect the other person. And they don't want that responsibility. Yeah. It's terrifying. They and don't I don't e- blame them. Right. But they don't even get close to answering that question, wear a no. helmet or not. Yeah. Because of exactly what you're saying. I love what you just said. Yeah. And so then they just get to, you know, not wear a helmet as much as they want. Is, is the wearing the helmet becoming a metaphor? Apparently. <laughs> I just pictured a guy walking around town just like permanently wearing a helmet. Okay, so anyway, I don't know. I'm just sort of seeing that you, by by getting married, by having kids, by building this life with someone, you know, you've be- you've decided to sacrifice a certain level of your personal freedom in sacrifice for a larger vision, for a whole unit. And that's so beautiful. And it also... It, it helps me feel compassion towards people that would avoid that because it is kind of, it sounds scary, right? It, it to can have be to, terrifying. Yeah. To have to sacrifice the wind in your hair so yeah. that there's no risk of you being bedridden. And then, you know, who's going to, who's going to do the things around the house that you do that like, you know, the stuff that Jamie brings to the family is really important. 
it's a lot of ego too, don't you think? Like what, egos the? wrapped into this, like, oh, you know, who's this person, you know, requesting something that's impinging on my freedom? No, I'm not going to do that. And I, I can tell you, my beloved wife, if you're listening, <laughs> I know you were amazed that I said I'll wear a helmet with no resistance. And so in a relationship, it's not that we're always marking, like keeping score, which we are in a lot of ways. And, and I look back, I've been married now 20 years to this beautiful woman, mysterious woman. And I think to myself, like, there's been a lot of keeping score over those 20 years. Mm. And the minute that you can not keep score and open yourself up really to another person, that's kind of what that felt like. She was coming to me very vulnerable. The old Jamie would have said, nope, fuck that. I'm not winding my hair. Dances with wolves. I wanna, that guy wind in my hair. I want to crack a joke and be like, what's left of it? But you actually have a great set of hair. You, you know what? I was going to say that same thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Guess yes. what? This is a great segue into Perfect. talking about control in relationships. Yes. Because there's a way that Megan could have asked that question from a unhealed, wounded place of control. Thank you. Brilliant. And that is the distinction that she made by saying I have a tender request meaning she doesn't want to to me what I hear as a woman when I hear she said that is like is like she doesn't want to control you she wants to trust you so it feels tender to ask for this because it's a personal need of hers she's scared right she doesn't want you to get hurt she loves you she also doesn't want to ask you to do something you don't want to do because she knows you better right. than anyone she you know if you were wanting to wear a helmet you would have been wearing one right. <laughs> you yeah, weren't exactly so <laughs> she's like I'm you know she's just taking in the facts you know so I guess I just think it'd be interesting to explore like what does it feel like for a man when he gets a request from a woman that feels like it's coming from control and how can he respond to that and what's going on for a woman when she makes a request that is coming from a need to control? What's going on with her when she's doing that? Yeah. You know? I mean, the obvi I mean, it's not rocket science. It's childhood trauma. Do 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 do. Can you play the music? Yeah. <laughs> childhood trauma. Do 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 do. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think that I I read this um this really rocked my my world when I read this simple, you know, statement on like an Instagram meme. And it was like, um, the level to which um, a woman controls a man is, is the level to which she has unhealed her relationship to the masculine. Mm -hmm. It's just directly related. And you know what, we could say that about everything and anything, the more you're trying to control, the more you're operating from a wounded place, mm -hmm. a place of you know, you're a kid and, and shit's happening that's out of your control. So you gotta, you gotta pull it together. You gotta keep things in control because uncertainty is scary and chaos is scary and dysfunction is scary, you know? So I think that the more women in particular heal their, their stuff and take more responsibility for when they're feeling scared and therefore getting controlling, 
the more they can heal the relationship to the masculine. I think, I think it's required at this point. And honestly, I'm really tired of women pointing the fingers at their men and saying, you need to do more work. I've done it. I've done that to everyone I've dated. You need to do more work. You need to do more work. You mean work on yourself? Yeah. You need yeah. to. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. You need to work on yourself. Oh my God, was I digging in the wrong place? Mm. Like I had work to do, and that's something you and I talked about a lot. It's like, it's like, I just think um, I want to see more women taking responsibility for how they treat men, because it's not serving us as women to not do that. I mean, it's, it's almost like a selfish request is like, look, ladies, if we want to heal and be in our power, we have to start taking more responsibility for the way that we're needing men to change so we can feel safer. It doesn't work like that. In my opinion, I'm not saying men don't need to make some changes to make women feel more safe. Sure. We, I mean, historically, yeah, there's been a lot of shit done to women that's that's indescribable and disgusting. And I want to get out of that narrative. I want to write a new story. And there's a lot of women still stuck in that story and living from that place. And um, it's, it's done. I, I mean, I'm not saying it's done. There's still a lot going on. But the victim, the victim stuff is, is tough for me. Um, Do you feel like that victim is the sort of the motivation to control like what well there's some women that are legitimately victimized by men of course yes. right yeah and then i guess i'm more speaking to to a more lighter dynamic of like um if you're making someone else responsible he made me feel this way uh -huh. you're a victim you've made yourself a victim to that person's behavior that that's a very disempowered place to be and to live and I, I've lived there <laughs> for years. And mm -hmm. I think just recently I've started to shift the focus. So when I feel triggered or upset, instead of going, okay, he did this and now I'm feeling this way. So he needs to stop doing that. Uh -huh. I've, I've, that's not how I roll anymore. When I have a difficult feeling or a trigger, I pause, I go within, you know, as soon as I can, maybe get outside or crawl into bed and just tune in and feel my feelings and take responsibility from a place of compassion. Oh, why do you feel this way? Oh, well, I want connection mm. and he's not giving it to me. Oh, that's so sweet. You want connection. Can you feel into your desire for connection and what a tender place, what a normal, what a normal human response that would be mm. and how difficult it is when you want connection and someone's not giving it to you. Do you feel the difference between the, the difference between that and fuck that guy? Can't believe he did that. Right. Right. No, that's then huge. I'm, I'm denying my own desire for connection, too. And I'm actually behaving in ways that creates more disconnection. The guy's going to be like nut job or too emotional <laughs> or I'm nut out. Job. Right. Yes. Like, yeah, no, I've seen it in my own patterns. Like when things yeah. would get hot in the past in other relationships or even this one in the beginning with Meg, I'd be like, I'm fucking out of here, dude. This and then the woman gets to say, see, right. you're, you're a pussy. You can't hold. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. What do I say about <laughs> cursing on this show? All right. I'm sorry. Jesus. I'm sorry. All right. Where were we? I was raised by an Irish alcoholic. Okay. 
Okay. All my disclaimer. my Irish <laughs> listeners, I apologize for that. <laughs> but then the woman gets to point the finger and say, sure. look, he's abandoning he me. He can't I'm hold my emotion. Yes. Right. But if we look, if we give men the benefit of the doubt and come back to, but they just want to please you. And you're telling him he can't make you happy when you get upset every time he does something that you don't like or makes you feel disconnection. But like, if you take responsibility for your own feelings, tap into your desire for connection and come with that sweet feminine of like, hey, I, I want I want to connect with you more. I love you. I love being around you. And you come with that pure hearted desire don't you think a man would respond better to that than why aren't you doing this thing that I need you to do? Yeah. It's just like Meg saying, can I bring something tender to you? Instead of saying, why the fuck aren't you wearing your why helmet? Why the fuck aren't you wearing a helmet? You're yes. an idiot. She could have framed it like oh, that. Oh, yeah. You're an <laughs> idiot. <laughs> I feel like, all right. What a difference it makes, right? right? To what she did was she spoke from her desire for your safety rather than speaking from judgment of your choice right to not wear one and i think men want to feel trusted more by women yeah this is huge this idea of trust i think it's really been broken and we need to repair it and i would say a lot of that i i this is well i want to know what you think and i'm curious if people would agree but do you think it's more on the women to deal with that mistrust or that men need to change to create more trust i i don't think it's uh gender specific okay. i really don't i feel like trust is this sort of mm, nefarious looming out there idea or concept trust but i'm going to ask you a hard question okay what happens when a man fucks up? When a man does something to break that trust? Yeah. What happens in a woman or in a man? Like, hmm. can, tr I guess the question is, can trust be repaired? So let's say my beautiful teacup here. It's got an old motorcycle rider on it who's riding a Greaves, it's a British motorcycle. What if this thing broke and I was really upset and then I tried to super glue it back together? <laughs> Would it ever really be the yeah. same? Because yeah. it broke. Yeah. And so I'm so happy you brought this thing up about trust. Like, and I've heard you address this in your relationships. Like, I just don't trust him. And so... So there's two questions. Is that just like something in us where we're not trusting of another? That's one question. Sure. And then what happens when the trust is broken by an action? Like, I fucked up. Now what? So um, what's coming to mind as you're sharing this is a quote by um, David Ryko. I don't know if that's how you say his last name. He wrote How to Be an Adult in Relationships, How to Be an, an Adult in Love. Um, he's a Buddhist psychologist. And he says that true adult trust is not to say you will never hurt me because mm. that's not true. People, hurt, people will hurt you. True adult trust is actually saying, but I trust myself with whatever you choose to do. 
meaning. Explain that, yeah. So, so I think a mature concept of trust is not to live in la-la land and think that your partner is not going to make mistakes. And there's a variety of big, you know, big mistakes are small. Let's just say general hurtful mistakes. Um, it's going to happen. People are human and they're going to disappoint. And, um, and I, th- so I think that true adult trust is not living in la-la land thinking you won't get hurt. It's essentially saying, whatever you choose to do, I trust myself to navigate it well. I trust myself to take care of myself uh-huh. in that pain. I trust myself to make a decision upon uh, on whether or not I want to forgive and continue in the connection or move on. So it becomes all about um, shifting your concept of trust, not so much to like blindly trusting someone else, but trusting yourself to navigate the pain well. Yeah, wow, I really love that reframe. It's a great reframe. Yeah. Because people will hurt you, you know? And anytime I have said, you know, I don't trust him, it's, I mean, just personally, it was coming from past trauma where men did actually break that trust, right? Uh So again... It's that same theme of like the more unhealed shit I have, the more I will drag that into my next connection and control with that information, you know? Yeah. Try to control because I'm scared. So developing self-trust is huge in relationship. Trusting yourself to take responsibility for your own feelings and make good decisions and how you respond to the, the imperfection of other humans. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. That's so brilliant. So really, (laughs) if I take away what you're saying, it's there is no deal breaker in some ways. Like, okay, if somebody like, you know, really does something egregious, yes. But it really comes back to the individual. And can they reconcile and feel what they're feeling, the pain or the betrayal and frame it in this is humanity this is how humans are and they're treating each other this way am i invested enough to do the repair work or was this breaking of trust a one-off one and done Right. right and even the one and done within yourself you have to be okay with that you have to say no, this within my inner psychology, this was a one and done situation. Or given the information of why and what happened and, you know, forgiveness, I'm not sure how that gets wrapped in. <laughs> you know, I had a period in my life where I was uh, asking for forgiveness from three very major women in my life that I felt like I had wronged. And then I asked them to ask for my forgiveness, which is sort of interesting. That Mm. didn't really land. (laughs) Wait, you asked them to... Forgive me. Got it. I forgave them. I see. And I asked for their forgiveness. Okay. And a, a really weird energetic thing happened. There was some release there. Hmm. that I could feel in myself, like some binding of a thread. And, you know, 
two were with women that I was not in relationship with anymore. And one was with my mother, who was still alive at that time, obviously. So, mm. um, but yeah, I, I just, yeah, this, this idea of trust, if I take what you're saying, it really comes to, do I trust myself? Yeah, and of course, a lot depends on how the person who broke trust takes care of themselves in it as well, sure. meaning taking accountability, forgiving themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's a big one. I, I was listening to Esther Perel, a great relationship coach, and she was doing couples therapy, and the man had cheated on his wife. And they were working through that. And in every treatment, every session, the man was expressing all of this guilt. And he was so guilty and he felt so awful. He was just like laying down and dying. You know, he's just like, I know, I fucked up. I can't do this. And she said to him, do you see how you're still making it about you? Ah, wow. Right? Like that guilt is not serving your wife, actually. It's not making her feel better. It's not fixing the mistake. And I thought that was so profound. Mm. And so in therapy, he shifted out of guilt, forgave himself. And once he had forgiven himself, then they were able to rebuild trust. But a man just, oh, I feel so bad. I feel so bad. I feel so bad. That's still making it about you. And the very act of cheating on your wife was about you and your need and that impulse, that yeah. impulse in the moment, right? So, so I guess like I think self-forgiveness on behalf of the person who broke the trust feels essential to healing the relationship. Um, yeah. <laughs> I guess there's always the possibility of it not being repaired too. Sure. You know, and and living with the consequences of that trust breaking. And sometimes the trust breaking is just a symptom that the bond wasn't that strong to begin with, right? Perhaps, and so yeah. maybe that's just like the way out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was cheated on by my first boyfriend in college, walked in on him sleeping, you know, under the covers with some girl he met at the library. And, um, you know, looking back, I kind of had fun with that. I got to kick over the trash can and be like, oh, my God. What? Oh, I can't believe this. I mean, I got to be the drama queen yeah. that In I am. <laughs> indignation. That's huge. It was amazing. I was like, I fucking caught you. And I got to say, like, it was painful, but it, something felt good to just be like, to just to release that, you know, and, and just be upset and storm out. I, anyway, side note. So but, he was done. Oh, I think I dated him for like another oh, God, year. Oh, God, please. Jamie. I Seriously. had issues. <laughs> we all do, people. Um, so you have one question here that I, I want to tackle, and maybe this too too uh, dramatic of a segue, but <laughs> what, bring it. What's the difference between mothering a man and being nurturing? <laughs> I love this. It's a great question. God. Yeah. And, and what ways do women rob men of their masculinity? I feel like those two are very yeah. cousins or siblings or something. Yeah. The questions are siblings. Yeah. For sure. Talk about well, that. Well, I brought, yeah. I mean, I guess I brought these questions to the table because um, I'm a very nurturing person. 
and I don't have kids. And I could very easily transfer a lot of my desire to caretake onto um, the person that I'm dating. Um, I mean, really onto anyone. You've seen how I am with the kids in this town and, and yep. with my friends as well. Um, because I have a background in code, you know, codependency and, and, and Al-Anon and all this, you know, really learning to um, have boundaries and, and not caretake people too much. I love this question because the answer is you're mothering a man when you're starting to do stuff for him that he could do for himself. Um, and I think that can even be hard to navigate at times. You know, it's like, well, he technically could make his own breakfast. He knows how to cook. You know, why am I doing this? Right. So it's kind of sifting through and going, okay, what is just a nurturing, kind thing to, to bring ease to my partner's life, to bring joy, to bring, yeah, like to care for them, you know, to, to treat them as your beloved, as sacred, as, as a beautiful being in your life. And you just want to make them feel good. And yes, 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 that's great. But when it's getting into like, you know, I mentioned earlier, like booking their doctor's appointments for them. Yeah. You know, or, or I don't know. I feel like this gets into women not trusting men to make mistakes and learn from them either. Like even financially, you know, can we just let men handle certain things? If they make a mistake, fine. They're human. Let them learn from it. You've made mistakes. You learn from mistakes. So it's when women take on this role of, I have to protect him from making mistakes, you know, I have to, and this is not just helmet stuff, right? Because the no helmet would affect the whole. That's different. Yeah. But a mistake at work, let him make it, you know, like let him, let him make those mistakes. And I don't mean that condescendingly, like let him make mistakes, but you don't have to go in and, you know, coach him and fix him. And, you know, it's just like, we like trusting men that they're on a path, they need to learn their lessons and, and they will just like you are. Um, if it's a mistake that doesn't do any harm necessarily to you, leave it alone. So let me pause you there for a sec because I'm hearing this and it's landing on me like, yeah, I think a lot of guys don't mind being mother. That's interesting. Right? Oh, shit, yeah. So <laughs> like – I'm thinking this is this is very treacherous in some ways because you Mm -hmm. spoke about wanting to do something out of love and making ease and then there's it that's a that's kind of a fine line like if you start doing things like that and the guy starts to go wow this this is nice you know maybe not consciously but in some ways they're going, wow, my mom used to do this too. Or I come home from school and there'd be a meal on the table. Well, now I come home from work and there's a meal on the table. So I, I'm looking inside myself mm-hmm. and I think, yeah, there, there's a part of me and I think, like, pick up your goddamn socks or whatever, right? Or throw the laundry in the hamper. Like, these are all kind of messages that we got as young boys that, we, if our behavior is continuing and you just are picking up our socks and doing our laundry or whatever, putting it in the hamper, then we are sort of in this relationship where we're being mothered. So it's a very, it, it's really a fine line, I think. And I think that that, that, so the question is, is 
I mean, the sock example is minor, but it's a good one. I mean, on some level, is the woman in this situation enabling the man to not care for his shit? What if she lets him just keep the socks everywhere a mess and then he doesn't have clean socks anymore and he's got to deal with that? <laughs> you know, I mean, this is a yeah. weird example, but what, you know, I had a friend once tell me that she, um, she has a little policy within herself that she will make a request three times um, to her partner over the course of however long. Sure. Six months, a year, 10 years. Yep. And after three times of making this request, if they don't do it, then she needs to accept and she needs to change and, and not make the request anymore huh. and adjust. Interesting. That's just her little policy. I think it's cool. And, and that's kind of getting sidetracked. I think coming back to this men who, who like to be mothered, I mean, the responsibility to change that dynamic, in my opinion, is on the woman because she's now enabling him to not take care of his shit. And, um, and he's letting her because he doesn't want to grow up and he wants mommy. And I, I, would be, I would be interested to see if the woman just you know, let the socks be there. You know, I, I don't know. It's, it's, um, she has to start having a boundary on some level. Yeah. I'm hearing this <laughs> like, mm -hmm. this is really interesting because the first 10 years of my relationship with Meg, we're in very traditional roles mm. and traditional roles looked like this. I went out and made the money. I worked all day, I'd come home, Meg would have made an amazing dinner, and next day I'd do it all over again. My laundry was done, my, if I had a request, hey, can you, you know, call the, the car dealer and see what the heck's up with the car being fixed, something like that, right? Sure. A and I, I'm realizing that as a boy, I would, the same thing, like my laundry got done, the dinners were made. I was very much nurtured in that traditional way. Mm. And I thought everything was hunky-dory. Like, <laughs> well, this is great, right? So I think there was this, this ability for men to be mothered in that way. Maybe mothered's not the right word, taken care of. I'm assuming, honey, that you wanted to do these things. It wasn't out of obligation. But this is where the roles come in. And, and a traditional role that looked like, kind of like a 50s household. You know, I didn't come home and have a scotch handed to me or something <laughs> weird, but, or unknot my tie and wear ties. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's just like, God, I, I almost feel like like we're on a slippery slope now on this conversation. Like, where the hell do we go from here? Like, <laughs> well, what how do, you... do we establish new roles? And yeah, you know, it's just each relationship is is based on its own agreements, depending on where everybody's at. I mean, she did those things because you were working all day and providing the income to pay for the home that she was caring for. Right. Like, so it was just a symbiotic relationship. The household shit has to get done. Whether the man does it or the woman does it, it doesn't really matter. It's just whoever's off working all day. So I'm the mother now mothering my wife. 
I do her laundry. I make her food. Okay, but that's not mothering. I think this this, this is. <laughs> I think that's. I'm sorry, just being... people. This is going to be like a two-hour podcast. <laughs> yeah, we got to find a way to, to wrap to, it up to dig ourselves out of this hole. I All don't right. think that's mothering. I think, like I said. That's taking care of a household. That's taking care of the whole unit. Dad's uh-huh. at work. The laundry's got to get done. And it serves everybody when the house is clean and food is made. And, and then also when income's coming in. Yes. Those are all important things. Right. I Thank don't you. think that's mothering. I think when women get into mothering, it's they are not trusting the men to grow, uh-huh. to find their way, to make mistakes, and to do adulting. You know? I mean... Like I, a friend of mine was just like, oh, I don't even want to go into that. But, but she was nagging at her, you know, at her husband because of some car registration thing. And I wanted to be like, if he doesn't go do it, he'll get pulled over and he'll pay, you know, like, yes. do you see the difference? I it's do. like, it's enabling someone to not step up and take care of their own shit. <laughs> brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Anyway, that's the only way that, that, that dynamic first of all this nagging doesn't serve anyone no it creates resentment in both parties yeah so don't nag (laughs) allow each person you know lovingly you can say you know what uh i got a renewal for the registration today in the mail and you said you were going to handle registration of the vehicles i just wanted to let you know there it is yeah now you're done so I just heard an example of uh, this is good advice for any ladies listening who are, you know, in relationship with men. When you make a request like that, let's use like a dishes example. Hey, honey, can, can you just get the dishes done? I got a lot going on. You make the request and you walk away. Because what happens is, is the woman waits. Can you do the dishes? The guy's sitting there. He's looking at his phone or he's doing his thing. And, and there's this tension, and he knows she's wanting a certain response from him, and they're doing this this dance. And if you just make the request and walk out, that's the best method because he's got a minute to think about it and then mm. make that choice. But when you stand there like a school teacher waiting for him to say the right thing, and if he doesn't say the right thing, you keep nagging, it's going to evolve into a fight, you know? So it's like, I don't know, someone gave that advice of like, ladies, make the request and then leave the room and let him sit with yeah. the request, but don't stand there and make it a thing. Right. <laughs> and let go of whether or not it happens. But I yes. want to I want to reframe uh, semantically a little bit. Uh, the request should maybe sound more like, would you be willing? Yeah, would you be right? willing? Hey, would you be willing? I I got to finish this email or I got a, I had a really hard day. I need to just go take a minute. Would you be willing to take care of the sink full of dishes tonight? Yeah. You know, I know it was my night or whatever. So how we ask, yeah, there's just so much. I mean, if you aren't doing your own work, yeah, then you're doomed. <laughs> you're doomed to go yeah. through relationship after relationship after relationship. Do your own work, people. Which is a great way to maybe close out because we've talked about a lot of... Well, you got to be somewhere. No. <laughs> no, go ahead. I don't know. I <laughs> we I just feel like you... I mean, we don't have to close out. No, How I, long are your podcasts? I'm, I'm like three hours long talking yeah, no, to Miss Chelsea. Um, <laughs> you got to be somewhere. You got something hey, to do. 
You got a life? You do, actually. I do. I've taken a big part of it. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, this has actually been a blast. I'm sure it's been a little all over the place, but hopefully we're just giving some good food for thought for people out there. But that's when you and I get together. It is always kind of all over and just dynamic. So to close out, what were you going to say? Well, so what I want to say, though, first is I love (laughs) that you and I can just put questions out there and maybe not even have the answer. Yeah. Like just More kind often of, than not, we don't. Yeah. And I mean, it's just every relationship's different. So sometimes it's like, what do we do? I thought maybe to close out, we could talk about what does it really look like to be responsible for your own feelings in a relationship? And I could share something that I do mm-hmm. to maintain what I call inner bonding and connection to self and maintaining connection to self in relationship. And that is... That to me, when you say, you know, if we don't do the work, we're, we're fucked. I mean, to me, this is the work, the, the inner bonding work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, you know, the first step in that work is a willingness to feel pain. And if you're not willing to feel the discomfort of when someone doesn't do something you want them to do or, or when they do something you don't like, like you've got to be willing to actually feel into that pain. You know, I think a lot of people get triggered 20 times a day and just keep moving. Mm. And then they wonder why they're not sleeping well. Uh-huh. They're not taking the time to actually feel what, what they felt that day. To pause and actually feel when you get triggered. Is that what you're saying? Sure. Or in the moment, sometimes you can't. So making a ritual of before bed, how am I doing? Checking Uh in. How am I doing? Kind of reviewing the day type thing. Yeah. Just tuning into how you feel. I mean, I do it every night. I kind of check in. How am I feeling? I mean, a lot of people don't ask that question. They're either on their phone or they're, you know, their kids are running around. You know, they're doing parent stuff. It's called the law of (laughs) distraction. Yeah. Yeah. So... I know that might seem oversimplified, but we have to start somewhere. And to me, building a relationship to your emotional world is is the first step. Um, So how am I feeling? And then once you once you um, can address or or you notice the feeling. So, for example, I'm feeling um, I'm feeling disappointed or, or maybe I'm feeling kind of needy. You know, I needed a bit more love today or mm. touch i think that's a really common feeling people w- feel when they tune in they're needing a bit more care you know um the importance is to identify you know is to tend to that feeling with compassion and and kind of sort out is this feeling coming from something that someone did today or is this a feeling i felt a lot in my life uh-huh. that i felt as a kid as well yeah and going back to that and saying oh you know little chelsea didn't really feel seen so she tends to not feel seen a lot now and right. i need to go back and kind of tend to her as an adult now and say you know i know you're not feeling seen but i see you i see that you're working really hard I see you're trying really hard. I mean, I know this sounds kind of like, I don't even want to use the word inner child work because it's just so like cheesy, but but it's tuning into how you feel and identifying if the feelings you're feeling are really from the other person. I would say like most of the time when I have a reaction or a feeling, it's not really yeah. about what the other person's doing. No, it's not. It's almost always something that I'm telling myself, like, like the pressure I'm putting on myself to be 
like this certain way to be lovable or I have to be really enlightened and I didn't handle that well. And it's almost always shit we're telling ourselves that is causing a lot of our suffering. It's totally. usually not about other people. No, and it's our trauma is informing us constantly and, and exposing that trauma or, or coming to, first of all, awareness of that trauma and how it is informing our daily life. It's just so unbelievable. Much. Yeah, so much. And that's why if you can, if you have that reframe, then whatever you're presenting to me, it, it's not about you. Yeah. It really isn't. The, the clearer I can be within myself, the more squared away, the more grounded. However you're showing up, I have that three-second delay to figure out, do I want to just react to what this person's showing up as? Or can I go inside and channel those things that make me feel good? Yes. What are they? Empathy, yeah. compassion, yeah. understanding, forgiveness, whatever it is. Their qualities, love. Yeah. These are things love. that make us feel good. Yeah. Right? Not the barreling through the world, walled up and closed off and blaming other people for how we feel. That's ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous to blame another person for yeah. how you're feeling. And it's it's the default. Oh, I it's mean, totally. I, it's how I, the I world have, works yeah. right now. Right? Yeah. Look at all the drama and chaos and pain and hurt that humans are inflicting on each other and and animals, plants, and the planet. Yeah, yeah I think, and I think, like you said, empathy, compassion, forgiveness, love, but towards the self first. Like, I'm really a huge, yeah. I mean, I know that's what you essentially mean, but like essentially if I'm having a reaction to something someone else is doing, I really need to tend to those feelings and that reaction with compassion. Oh, sweetie, I totally understand why you're triggered by that. Cause you're, you know, your, your, your uh, childhood was really inconsistent. You weren't really seen. You had to share space with siblings, yeah. right? You had to go to school where you didn't really fit in and they were teaching you this certain way of learning that didn't really, re you know, the list goes on. So, I mean, understanding how, like you said, that childhood trauma is being relived every day in our sweet little bodies, you know, just it's, it's really important to name that and have compassion for even why we're reacting in the first place. Yeah. The minute you do that, blame becomes way less attractive yeah. <laughs> as an option, right? It's weird. It's like you just tend to that feeling and go, oh, I totally get why you're feeling disconnection right now. Totally get why you're upset. It, it's not as the default to blame kind of goes away. It's really cool. Yeah. Like I watch it melt. Like I don't really, it's not really about him anymore. That's, I get, I get to tend to me now. That's a How powerful cool. practice. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've been doing it a lot. I got my mom doing this inner bonding work, um, that I learned from Margaret Paul. She wrote a book called the power to heal inner bonding. And I've been doing this practice of just checking in. How do you feel tending to that child, to the wounded self, from a loving adult place, calling mm. in higher guidance spiritually, all of that stuff. Um, nice. And it's a game changer. Nice. Yeah. You taking my picture? I just took your picture. <laughs> I don't know why. I love it. I want to capture this moment yes. with your headphones on and the we're, microphone in front of you. We're very professional over here. Kind of. Is there <laughs> anything else 
I feel like this is a <sighs> thorough convo. Yeah, it's been good. Um, what do we leave our listeners with here if we haven't already done that? Maybe they already left us. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you left, I'm going inside right now, and I'm checking how I feel. How do you feel, Jamie? I feel right a little now. abandoned I by know. any of you who ended this podcast before it was done. <laughs> I will find you and love you up. How's that? That was amazing. Yeah. Is that a good way to end? <laughs> I love what you just said. Well, hey, maybe they left us. <laughs> it's very possible, truly. I think um, I think we covered a lot of amazing topics. I've really I love chatting with you, Jamie, and I think that the work you're doing with this podcast and and addressing trauma, especially as a man, feels important. You know, and I'm not saying. That, that this is just women's work, but I don't hear a lot of men admitting vulnerable stories, admitting, you know, the, the ego stuff of, I just want to wear a fucking helmet, leave me alone. Yeah. Or, you know, not that you took that stance, but just admitting that there might've been a little bit of that there and you overcome it. I mean, you're, you sharing your stories are, it's just essential, I think. And I hope that, I hope that other men out there are inspired by this and, and relating to you because, um, I think we need more really healthy male role models like that, mm. you know. I really appreciate you saying that. And there are moments of like, you know, what the fuck? And, uh, but I've known many men in my <laughs> life who weren't uh, open, you know, who weren't vulnerable or uh, had any level of transparency. It's just, hey, you know, back slapping, you know, yeah. guy doing guy fist bump stuff. And it's just like, I don't know. It just feels essential right now. Yeah. Um, I am going to give a, a free talk at the hearth coming oh, up cool. in June. And uh, what day? I think I'm not sure yet if we picked a day, but it's going to be a Thursday evening. It'll be on their calendar. Great. Um, yeah. And just again, more conversation around how do we reveal? How do we, uh, you know, mitigate some of the trauma-informed behaviors <laughs> yeah. that fuck up our life, yeah. you know, fuck up our inner psychology, keep us unhappy, keep us small, yeah. and keep our relationships unfulfilled. I just feel like, yeah, right now, it's yeah. time. It takes a lot of courage to face those traumas and do that work. Yeah. And not one of us has escaped it, you know, whether it's little T or one. big T, right? Totally. Everyone's got something. Yeah, everyone. And, and why not band together and put our arms around each other and say, we're in this together. Yeah. We want to make this place a better place. We want to make our, our relationships more fulfilling. Yeah. And not based on lies or masking or. And there's nothing to be ashamed of if you had a difficult childhood or you had shit happen to you. Like you said, whether it's big T trauma or little T trauma, it's yeah. we're all coming with that. And if we don't shine a light on it, it it's it steers the ship. Yeah. You know, everything in the subconscious steers the ship. So the we shadow. have to look. Yeah. We have to look. And it does take courage to look. And I guess I, you know, think. 
God, what has allowed me to look so deeply? Because I've looked at a lot of shit deep down in myself and and addressed a lot of things. And it's because I had a support network. Mm. I know that. I don't know if I would have looked as deeply if I was just like lone wolfing it out there. You know, I want to know that I can look deeply. And if it's hard, what I see, I've got someone I can talk to about it. You know, yeah, someone who would relate or understand. So it's really important that people out there at least have one or two, you know, people that they can go to about anything. Yeah. We only need, I guess, two, they say like, you know, three close, three inner circle people in our life is enough. Even, even one, man, even one would be good enough. Yeah. And I I feel like what you're doing with Megan, with the healer's path is huge. These nine women or however, however many there are, I think it's nine. Nine and 10, including Megan. Yeah. It's like, or, or my men's group that we meet once a month, you know, important just to give voice to what's going on without necessarily any feedback or, you know, certainly no judgment, just support, like you're saying. So people find the group, find the friends, confide, be vulnerable, be brave, be brave, be real. I love you so much Mm. because you're such a warrior. You just don't quit. (laughs) You keep going. Yeah, to a detriment sometimes. Well, no, you keep digging. Yeah. You you don't, you're not like, okay, I'm good now. I got this. You know, I just feel like in you is this fire to keep bringing to the surface what's not healthy digging into what is healthy and going for it and I just I love you so much for that thank you yeah I love you too and I do the work to generate more love in my life that's what motivates me I want to feel experience receive give more love and when we're in our wounding we can't when, when we're stuck in unhealed shit and wounding, it's all fear-based responses to life. So I've got to dig that stuff up and heal it so that I can respond to others and respond to life with more love and less control and fear. Yeah. And I've done that enough and it hasn't worked for me. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so that's why I do the work is in the name of love. And it sounds so cheesy, but yeah. all you need is love. In the name of love, isn't that a Bono song in or YouTube? God, I love that. So I have one yeah. last story, and then we're done. Okay. Uh, I think it was a couple of years ago, and I've I've I felt this connection with you, probably from the day I met you. I was yeah. just like, oh, that's my sister. Yeah. And one day, I'm driving with my kids in our old farm truck, 1977 F150. And I'm driving down Grand Avenue, our two-block-long Main Street. I think it's two blocks. Might be one. No, it's two. It's two. Or okay. maybe it's three. It's three, dude. It's three. Okay. But the third block is, like, not really a block. Anyway, I'm going one direction, and you're walking across the street going the other direction, and you are just fucking dressed to the nines. <laughs> I don't know where you, it looks like you had just come out of a club or something. And you're walking along, you know, in your own dream. And I had the window down. The kids are next to me. And I yell out the window. Oh, you remember right. this? Yes. Taylor Hawk, you're on fucking fire, woman. <laughs> and like, you know, all these people are turning their heads and you just like lit up. 
I think God. you were probably mostly embarrassed that some guys like yelling at you. But to me, yeah, that that's our relationship. Yeah, it was so it was so safe to be catcalled by you, Jamie. I felt oh, it was, so safe. It was appreciation. It was so, yeah, I felt so seen. Yeah. I felt so seen in that moment. I, I felt too seen. I was like, okay, yeah, all right. I know I look good, but, you know, just mosey on. I think it's because it called everybody else's attention because yeah. you're so damn loud. Okay. Oh, that was so sweet. Will you forgive me for I that? I 100% forgive you. It, I will never forget that. I, I, I will I, do it again, though. It was great. I could use it. I mean, I, I, I lived in San Francisco 10 years before here. Trust me, like the cat calling was insane there. And now I kind of miss it. Well, it's a small like, kind of... Where's all the cat calling in Paonia? Western Colorado, rancher, yeah. minor, hippie. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much. Oh, my gosh, Jamie. Thank you so much. My face hurts from, from <laughs> smiling. I got the perma smile Total going. perma smile. All right, woman, you have a good rest of your day. Thanks so much, Jamie. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye. If you like the show and listen on Spotify, please follow and rate the podcast. If you are on Apple, you can rate and write a review. And if you want to show us some love on whatever podcast platform you listen on, that would be much appreciated. This podcast has been edited and produced by Gilroy Productions. Thanks, buddy. Love you.